Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Each man has his own gift from God. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. If you're an adult and you're single, you probably had to answer this question at one time or another. So when are you getting married? Obviously, marriage can and should be a wonderful thing. But what about being single? Can't that be a wonderful thing as well? Paul's not anti-woman. He's just saying he doesn't have that desire to be intimate with a woman. And so he considers it a gift. He's going to explain there is actually a very practical beneficial purpose in the kingdom for the gift of singleness. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. If you happen to be new to Crosswalk, you're joining us at a very important time as we're looking at some very relevant subjects for our time. We're doing a series entitled Crossroads. It's an in-depth study of the New Testament books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. As we move further into 1st Corinthians chapter 7, where our faith, our belief system runs into the culture in which we live, uh, I'm going to say some things that may be hurtful, may make you feel bad, may even make some of you mad, but I want you to understand that God's intention is not that it would be painful, but that it would be beneficial for our lives, and that is the desire of your pastor as well. Today we're continuing to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's a chapter that has lots to tell us about living as a follower of Jesus and what it means for things like marriage, divorce, and living single. Let's get started, shall we? Here's Pastor Clay with today's message. Have you ever said something to someone that you wish you hadn't said because because you hurt them, because you made them feel bad, maybe even made them mad? You ever said something that you that you wish you you hadn't said? A few years ago, my wife, Cindy, got her hair done, and, and it, was a, it was a different color than what I had previously been used to. It was different. It was different. And she came home, and she said, how do you like my hair? Have you ever had one of those out-of-body experiences where it's like you're you're detached from the situation and you can see yourself doing something or saying something, almost like it's in slow motion, but you can't stop it. She said, how do you like your hair? I said, it looks maroon. I wish I hadn't said that. A while back, Ed and Lori Alexander had us over for dinner at their home. Uh, Stan and Pam Parker, I think, were there as well. And uh, they were very gracious, and we had a lovely time and, and a lovely meal, and, and Cindy made dessert. And knowing that uh, Ed and Lori are much more health conscious than your pastor is, I'll just say that right now, they are much more, knowing that, that Ed and Lori are much more health conscious than I am, Cindy did something she had not normally done. She brought dessert, and she brought red velvet cake cookies. That just sounds, sounds awesome. Cupcake, red velvet cake cupcakes. That just sounds awesome, right? What I did not know was because of, of her uh, consciousness of Ed and, and Lori's high health standards, 
What I did not know was that instead of using uh, red food coloring as the dye, she used beet juice. And I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And so I, I bit into one of the cupcakes and I said, have you ever had one of those out-of-body experiences? <laughs> and I said, these taste like dirt. I, I, I wish I hadn't said that. I kind of wish that I didn't have to say some of the things that I'm about to have to say to you over the next few moments. Because what I have to say over the next few moments may hurt some of you. It may make some of you feel bad. It may even make some of you mad. But I respect God's word too much and I love you too much to not give you the truth of his word. So even though the things that we're going to look at as we move on into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we were there last week, but as we move further into 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in this series called Crossroads, where our faith, our belief system intersects, runs into the culture in which we live, as we're moving further into 1 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, this morning, uh, I'm as I said, going to say some things that, that may be hurtful, may make you feel bad, may even make some of you mad, but I want you to understand, please, that God's intention is not that it would be painful, even though it very well may be, but that it would be beneficial. That's the objective. That it would be beneficial for our lives, and that is, that is the desire of your pastor as well today. We are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, and... I'll uh, just mention what we talked about last week. Uh, we started with this idea uh, last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, then I'll read those verses from 1 through 5 in just a second. We started with this idea last Sunday. If you're married, stay sexually intimate as much as your spouse needs. Okay, that's better. I didn't get, didn't get any amens last week when I said that. So I got a few, got a few that's rights that time. Okay, if you're married, stay sexually intimate as much as your spouse needs. Let me read verse 1 through 5 to you. Uh, this time I'm going to read it from the New American Standard. Now, concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement, for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. We looked in depth at verses 1 through 5 uh, last week, and I encourage you, if you are not here, go back and listen to that message. But I mentioned in that message last week that, there, that the Corinthians had written a letter to Paul. They had written him a letter, and he is responding to that letter. And one of the questions that they raised had to do with sexual intimacy. 
it was, there was a question, or, or in their minds, there was a question whether there should be sexual intimacy even if you are married. Should you, should you be sexually active even if you're married? Now, obviously, uh, obviously if you're not married, uh, you shouldn't be sexually active. You shouldn't be sexually intimate with anybody. God's Word is clear that sexual intimacy is this gift reserved for a man and a woman in covenant marriage. But because of the influence of Gnosticism, we talked about that last week, because of the influence of Gnosticism and this distorted view of the human body, and that'll come back up here later, but because of this distorted view of the human body, because of all of those things, they were not sure whether they should even be sexually intimate if, even if they were married. And Paul refutes that. He's refuting the teaching of the, of the Gnostics uh, of the ascetics, who, who was a branch of Gnosticism. We talked about all that. You go back and watch that message, listen to that message. But Paul is refuting that, and he's saying to them, not only is sexual intimacy permissible if you're married, it's vital if you're married. It's vital to the health of your relationship, uh, to, to the intimate feelings you have for each other, and for uh, protection uh, from uh, temptation that might come to you or to your spouse uh, as a result of just sexual uh, desires that are out there in general. So, so he says, yeah, this, and he addresses that, and he answers that question. And then he picks it up in verse 6, and we're going to look at it now. So it starts, here's the second idea. If you're single, stay that way if you're able. If you're single, stay that way if you're able. Now, if you're here and you're single and you don't want to be, because like, like I said, I know some of the things I say today may cause some pain. You're here and you're single and you don't want to be. I'm talking about staying, staying in this, staying in this, if you're able to stay that way. Well, stay in the room, okay? Don't, don't walk out on me yet. If you're single, stay that way if you're able. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9, okay? Well, you didn't, you didn't say it was okay, but I'm going to read it anyway. But... This I say by way of concession, not of command, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion." Now, you may uh, notice that that phrase, with passion, is in italics there uh, on the, uh, well, uh, in, the, in the actual text. It's, it's in italics, meaning that it was not in the original text, but that it is implied. That he's not talking about that you're going to burn in hell. or any, He's saying that you would burn with, with, with passion or, or desire. It's better to marry than to burn with uh, passion. And so, Paul loops back around to this idea that he... That, that I read last week and that I just read again, this, this idea that, that sounds a little scary <laughs> to those of us that do not have the, the gift of singleness. But we, he starts out there in that ver verse 1, he says, Now concerning about the things at which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And then he goes into this explanation about, but because of... of, of uh, of sexual desire because of lust because of thing. it's not a negative he's saying but because of that pull and then he goes into this thing about marriage and we looked at that last week and why uh, sexual intimacy in marriage is important by the way I'm not even going to ask how many of you made a joke this week if you are married I'm not going to ask how many of you made a joke about 
uh, hey, you want to fulfill your duty? Or, hey, you want to meet your... And I'm going to ask that. But, but he talks about that. And then now he comes back around in verse 6. And he comes back around to, to beginning to answer the question that... Or the statement that he made at the very beginning that causes a question in some of our minds. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. That, that, I would think that would need some clarification. Can I get an amen? amen? It is good for a man not to touch a woman. That needs some clarification. However, just as Paul begins to go into verse 6 and following about having to give clarification about what this means and why is it good for a man not to touch a woman and, and what all that means, just as he begins to do that, Paul makes a statement that has created quite a bit of controversy and stir and debate through the centuries about the statement that he says. He says there in verse 6, he says, But this I say by way of concession, not of command. What the world? What, is, what, what, does, that, what does that mean? What, what is Paul saying? He says, I say this by way of concession, not of command. Is he saying that, that what, what I'm about to say is... Uh, Voluntary. It's uh, it's uh, uh, it's it's something that you could do, don't want to do. If you don't, is it something that's just a suggested idea that this is probably a good idea? What does he mean when he says by way of concession, not by way of command? That that needs some some explanation. I will tell you this: that there are people that believe that based on that statement that Paul makes there. By the way, he makes uh, the same statement in, in verse. Uh, 10, he kind of flips it around uh, in verse 10, but he makes the same type of statement in verse 10, in verse 12, in verse 25, and then at the very end of the chapter in verse 40. He says that same kind of phrase uh, that that the Lord, not I, I, not the Lord, that sort of thing. He makes that same kind of statement. And so the question is, what does that, what does he mean by that? Is he saying that this is just voluntary? Is he saying there are people that believe that in this passage right here, the Apostle Paul is expressing his personal opinion on the subject matter, and therefore it does not carry the same gravity, the same weight as other passages of Scripture. But I would say, if you look at those verses, 6 and 10 and 12 and 25 and 40, if you look at them as a whole, this picture begins to reveal itself that what the Apostle Paul is saying by that statement is that the Lord when he was here on earth, had not or did not directly address what I'm about to talk about. In other words, you can't turn to somewhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and find where Jesus said, thus uh, shalt thou remain single. You, you, can't, you can't find that. And so what Paul is saying is that I'm, 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 not, I'm not quoting chapter and verse to you. I can't I tell you this is a command out of Scripture. Jesus didn't address this, and I'll explain why in a minute. Jesus didn't address this, but I'm addressing it now. By the way, uh, the word concession there in the text carries the idea of permission. So the question would naturally be, by whose permission? And the obvious answer is the Lord's. In other words, Paul is saying, the Lord hasn't specifically addressed this subject matter of singleness that I'm about to talk about, but he has given me permission to address it now. Okay? So with that in mind, let's read verses 7 through 9 again. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. 
But if they do not have self-control, and I explained last week, that's not, a, that's not an insult, that's not a put-down. He's just saying, essentially saying, if you have that pull, that draw for intimacy, if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul brings up something that Jesus had not addressed. Singleness, specifically singleness. And so he says, let me explain this to you. I wish that everybody was like I am. And we know from this context and others that Paul was single. He was not married. Now, there's, there's been some speculation through the years that Paul may have been a, a widower. Uh, there's, there's no be- biblical or extra-biblical evidence uh, for that, but that's just been tossed out there. And one of the reasons is because Pharisees were normally married, and Paul had been a Pharisee. Um, but in either case, uh, clearly when he comes to Christ, he is not married. And Paul says, it's a gift. It's a gift to be uh, single. And I wish that all of you could be that way. And he's going to explain, we're not going to see it today, but further on in the text, he's going to explain why it should be considered a, a gift to be single. But the point is that he starts out and he says that this thing is a gift from, from God. The word gift, by the way, in, in, in the New Testament in Greek that it was originally written in, is charisma. It literally means grace gift. So Paul is saying, I've been given the grace gift. In other words, there, was, there wasn't an emotional or physiological pull or draw or desire in Paul's life to be uh, in that type of intimate relationship with a woman. And so Paul does not have the need to marry. Now listen, we know that Paul uh, had uh, relationships, had friendly, nice, good relationships with, with a number of women. We know that a number of women served side-by-side uh, side with Paul in the work of the gospel. So Paul's not anti-woman. He's just saying that that's, that's just, that it's not a, he doesn't have that desire to be intimate with uh, a woman. And so he considers it a gift. Now, those of us that do not have that gift might question why it would be a gift or considered a gift. He's going to explain. Lord willing, we'll get to that next week. He's going to explain. But there's actually a very uh, practical, beneficial uh, purpose in, in the kingdom for the gift of singleness. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Not everybody has it. Very few people have it. But some people, apparently, based on what Paul says here, have it. But then he goes on to say, but if you don't have that gift, that's okay. Get married. It's not. He's not saying... Marriage is wrong. He considers singleness better, clearly, and you'll see why later on. But he said, if, if you don't have that self-control, if you have that desire to be physically intimate with a person, to, to know them in the most intimate way, to, uh, to, to, to enjoy that, to, to have offspring, whatever the case may be, if, if that's you, he said, then marry. By all means, marry. It's better to marry than to burn, meaning to, to burn or to have that desire for passion or, or, or sexual uh, fulfillment because, frankly speaking, sexual desire has a way of working itself out to a, to a completion. And we, we see that in the depth of sin based on the statistics, based on the multi-billion dollar pornography industry in our country. It has a way of working. So Paul says, hey, if you don't have the gift of singleness, by all means, if you can, 
marry somebody, find somebody, fall in love with somebody, marry. I, I, I hope that didn't sound like, hey, you, come here. I, wanna, I, don't, I don't mean that. I mean, if you don't have the gift of singleness, marry. Okay? All right? If you don't have that gift, it's okay. You can, you can be married also. That's fine as well. Here's the second idea this morning. If you're married, stay married if your spouse is willing. Let's read it. Verse 10 through 16. But to the married. Notice how he changes gears. He started out talking about marriage and, and, and sexuality. Then he moves back over into singles and, and why it's good for a man not to touch a woman if you have that gift. Now he comes back to marriage. But to the married, I give instruction, not I, but the Lord. There's that phrase, except now he's flipped it around. He says, not, not I. In other words, he, what he's saying is, the Lord has spoken on marriage and divorce. He, he has already clearly addressed this. But to the married, I give instruction, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and that the husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For likewise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. <laughs> holy smokes, we'll get to that one. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage, <clears throat> In such cases, but God, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Well, I'm certainly glad that there's nothing in there that would cause any uh, bit of stirring or anything, right? You know, it, it kills me. When people say something like, oh, the Bible is boring, or, uh, or the, the Bible just, the Bible isn't relevant. Listen, can I tell you something? You can't get more relevant than this right here. And, and all, of the, the con, all of the subject matter of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. You can't get more relevant for our lives today. Paul, Paul says, uh, I'm about to address something that the Lord has previously addressed, and that is, that is married. Marriage and divorce. He says, but, but to the married, I give instructions. Not I, but the Lord. So he's, given, he's, he's, he's saying to you that this is, this is coming, not just for me, that the Lord has already spoken on this. And, and he has, right? God has made it abundantly clear. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to open old wounds or anything like that. But God has made it abundantly clear that, that divorce is not his desire for people who uh, are uh, married. Uh, you've probably seen this text, Malachi uh, chapter 2, verse 16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord. There are a lot of reasons for that that we don't have time to get into today, but the point is, clearly, God 
does not desire that for our lives. Jesus addresses it specifically. We can turn to chapter and verse in the Gospels. Uh, among others, Matthew chapter 19. He said to them, he being Jesus, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. The, the Pharisees had come to him. They're trying to catch Jesus, messing up, making a mistake, something like that. And, uh, and Jesus explained to them that God's, has always taught that the two shall become one, what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. And the Pharisees said, well, well, how come Moses allowed us to divorce? They're trying to pit Jesus against Moses, so they got grounds to, to kill him. And Jesus just, just says to him, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. I know this is hard. And if the text says something else, show me. And we'll work from that. I said that last week, I'll say it again. But this is what God says concerning this idea of divorce. But in this statement in Matthew 19 that Jesus makes, what becomes clear is that a concession for divorce is allowed in the case of Adultery, it's called the pornea clause. Uh, there, in the case of adultery, uh, divorce is allowed. Now, I, I want to I be clear, it's never God's desire. His desire is always forgiveness and re- repentance and forgiveness and restoration. That would be what he'd always desire in relationships. But when, when, that, when that is not possible, when the person is not repentant, when, they, when the person doesn't want to, all those kind of things, that, that divorce is allowed in the case of of adultery other than that if they jesus says there in matthew 19 other than that if they divorce for if you divorce for any other reason than the fact that your spouse uh cheated on you committed adultery on you if you divorce for any reason that verse 11 seems to say that you better stay single that you are to stay single stay single stay single as a result of of the fact that that you divorced for a reason that was not a biblical concession which is adultery But hold on, hold on, because Paul has something else to address about this. The whole idea of marriage and divorce, Paul is going to, to, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's going to expound on this a little bit more. And he says in uh, verse 12 there, but to the rest, I say... Not the Lord. In other words, he's coming that same idea we talked about before. He's saying, the, what I'm about to say now, Jesus hasn't specifically addressed. But, again, he's writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The words that he says are just as meaningful, just as true as if Jesus himself had spoken them. Okay? So that, that's, that's what he's saying. He says, Jesus didn't, didn't address what I'm about to address, but the rest of this I, I say. By the way, he didn't address it. Well... Let, let's, let's read it first. Let, let me read it first. He's coming back to this idea that if you're married, stay married if your spouse is willing. In verses 10 through 16, he specifically addresses people who are married to an unbeliever. He specifically addresses that. In verse 10, the general idea of marriage and, and divorce, don't, don't divorce. But then in, in 10 and following, he picks up this idea of people who are specifically married to an unbeliever. And, and by the way, I, I started to say this earlier, the reason Jesus did not address this is because this marital problem didn't exist prior to the, to the birth of the church. 
before the, the, the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension, and the birth of the church, this didn't exist. But after that, after the founding of the church, men and women were coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of those men were believers. Some of those women were believers. But for some of them, their spouses were not. They were coming to know Christ, but some of their spouses were not believers in Jesus Christ. And just like that, you have the opportunity for friction in your marriage. Because now you are, as Paul's going to say later on, you are unequally yoked. In other words, now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have the same, you don't have the same goals that you had before you were a believer, or you shouldn't. You don't have the same aspirations. You don't have the same priorities. You don't have the same moral standards. You don't have the same, a lot of stuff has or certainly should change once we become a believer in Jesus Christ. And if your spouse has not come, become a believer in Jesus Christ, they will not share that, that same worldview, those same standards, those same expectations, those same priorities, those same goals for life or for your children or, or for the priority of the church or, or for your money or any of that stuff. They, they will have a difference of opinion on some of those things because they're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, they may agree with you about some things. Certainly, they will. But there's going to be friction in those cases. And Paul says, in those cases, there may come a point where your spouse says, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm tired of this. I'm done with this. This whole Jesus thing that, that, that you live out, or you talk about. This, this, I'm tired of the fact that you don't have the, the, the same standards that I have, or you don't want to do the same stuff that I want to do, or I'm tired of this, or I'm tired of that. I, I'm out of here. I've had enough of this. I'm done with this. Paul says, if that happens, and that is a legitimate possibility, it has happened to some of you in this room. If that happens, Paul says, let them go. Let them go. You're not under bondage. You're, you're not obligated to that covenant relationship because they have abandoned that covenant relationship. And in that case, you let them go. And so now it becomes clear that there are two permissible reasons or concessions for divorce if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, adultery or abandonment. I'll remind you again, it's never what God wants. He would always desire restoration, but when that is not possible, when that does not happen, he does allow for it in the case of adultery and in the case of abandonment, if you're married to an unbeliever. And then, (laughs) in verse 14, Paul gives justification for why it's okay to remain married to an unbeliever. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Well, what the world does that mean? I have no idea. No, I'm I'm just kidding. I, (laughs) I have an idea. But you do need to understand that this is, verse 14 is one of the most difficult passages to interpret in all of 1 Corinthians. It is. But what, 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 what is going on here? Part of the problem is when you and I hear the word uh, sanctified or, or holy uh, also, but they're both the same root word, by the way. When you and I hear the word sanctified or holy, we automatically associate it with salvation. But the word in Greek, hatsio, simply means to set apart. That's, all, that's, that's what it means, to set apart. For example, in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, uh, Peter says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Well, Christ certainly doesn't need 
to be sanctified in the salvific sense. So, so what is he saying? What he's saying is that Christ has to be set apart in your life. Christ has to be the priority. Christ has to be uh, different and above uh, everything else in your life. Uh, sanctify, set him apart. So only the context will tell you what sanctified particularly means. To understand what it means. And, and there, are about, there are about three major interpretations of what this means. I, I kind of line up with the second one, but I'm giving you what, what I believe God has, 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 said, has shared with me about what I think this means. And I think that the key to understanding this whole, your spouse is sanctified even though they're not a believer, your children are clean or unholy, I, I think that the key to understanding it is to remember the context of chapter 7. And what's the context of chapter 7? It's Paul dealing with the ascetics. It's Paul dealing with the false teaching that the ascetics were putting out there about uh, marriage and, 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 and the flesh. And remember, they had this corrupted idea of the flesh, and the, 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 the flesh was, was unredeemable, the, the flesh is wicked, the flesh is evil. And so the argument by, from the ascetics would have been, your unbelieving spouse doesn't even have a redeemed spirit in them. They are nothing but uh, flesh. They are nothing but material. Therefore, they are nothing but evil. They are nothing but wicked. And therefore, any children that you had would also be uh, evil. They would also be wicked. They would also be unclean because, uh, because they're uh, part of this whole thing. And so what you need to do is you need to get as far away from your unbelieving spouse as you can. Get away from them. Divorce them. That's what the ascetics would have argued based on their understanding of the flesh. And Paul combats that by saying, oh, no, 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 no. Your unbelieving spouse is actually sanctified or set apart because, get this now, think about this, because now, because you've become a believer, and that's the context here, you become a believer, your spouse is not, because you've become a believer, now this unbelieving person that you're married to is set apart in a way that other unbelieving people are not because they're going to be able to live in the presence of a sanctified, in the salvific sense, of a born-again believer in Jesus Christ on a continual basis. They're going to see the Christ-like life lived out. They're going to get to see it. That makes them very special in the sense that they're going to be exposed to Christ-like attitudes and behaviors. And I know we don't get it right all the time, but because the Spirit of God dwells in us now, I'm going to be Christ-like to my spouse more than I, than I would have been before, and I'm, I'm going to value things that I didn't value before, and I'm going to cherish things. I'm going to, tr- you understand, this whole thing, now that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And I believe that Paul is saying that they have now been set apart to this special relationship with a believer that they would not have had had they... Uh, had you not become a believer, which then that, in my opinion, that interpretation of verse 14 then fits perfectly what Paul says in verse 16 when he says, for how do you know a wife whether you will save your husband or how do you know a husband whether you will save your wife? Not that you understand, not that we save them, but that by our actions, as Peter says to wives in, in, in his letters, not, but by our actions, by our attitude, by our communication of the gospel, our spouse is going to see the Christ-like life, and God can use that to draw that person to him. God can use that to bring that person into a relationship with him. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard on you, right? Now, marriage is hard in general, right, for the most part. Marriage can be hard. Let me put that. It's wonderful, joyous, fantastic. Did I mention my wife is a fantastic cook? She really is. It, it can be all of those things, but it can be hard. 
But if, you have, if you're here or if you're listening to this and you are a believer and you're married to an unbeliever, it can be particularly hard, particularly difficult. And you'll want to hit the ejection button more than once. And Paul says, don't do it. Stay in there. If, they, if they're willing to stay with you, you stay with them. Because who knows whether God might use you to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, I need to address very quickly verse uh, 15 uh, where he says, Yet... If the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. I need to say this so that you understand. There are solid, conservative, Bible-believing scholars that, that I admire who believe that even if you divorce for will be considered a biblical reason. Even if you divorce for adultery or abandonment, there are people that believe that you cannot ever remarry. Even if you divorced for a biblical reason, you must remain single the rest of your life unless you remarry the person that you divorced. Based on verse 11. Here, verse 11 becomes the trump card, so to speak, that you're to remain single if you divorce. I'm going to tell you, I do not personally, based on my understanding of Scripture, I do not personally hold to that conviction. I may be wrong. I'm just going to tell you this. It's, this, is, this is debated by, by people on both sides that believe firmly in the absolute inerrancy of God's Word. I may be wrong, but it, it is my conviction that, that a person, and I have biblical reasons, I can't get into them today, but that a person who, who divorces for a biblical reason has can remarry again. But the priority in these relationships is always coming back to this priority of Christ, right? I don't want to live with this person anymore. I don't love this person. I don't, I don't, it, it, there's going to be friction in this relationship if, you're not, if, you're, if your spouse is not a believer. Let me say this too, by the way. That is, the, the, this is not promoting the idea of going out and marrying an unbeliever. We'll see this farther on, but Paul makes it clear that if you're a believer, you should marry a believer. But if you find yourself in a situation where you are married to an unbeliever, God may just very well use you to bring that person into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, and this is important for you, if you're here and you're a believer and you're married to an unbeliever, you need to understand this. Christ has to be the priority, even in that home, right? For you, for you, Christ has to be the, the, the priority. How does Jesus put it in Matthew uh, chapter 10? And a man's enemies will be the members of his household, his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. This whole following Jesus stuff, folks, is, is the real deal in it. I mean, this isn't some, this, this, this is it. This is the way it is. And this is what he has to say about this. Okay, let me, let me. Let me say one other thing that I hope will, that I hope will bring some semblance of, of uh, peace to your life if you are sitting here now and you feel like your whole world has been rocked because perhaps you, perhaps you did not divorce for a biblical reason. Maybe you didn't. Statistically, we would know there would be lots of people that would fall in that category. Perhaps you did not divorce for a biblical reason such as adultery or abandonment. 
Or perhaps you didn't follow God's instructions on, on uh, divorce and on remarriage and, and all, all that kind of stuff. Perhaps you, you didn't. Hey, folks, listen to me. And you're wondering, what, 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 what now? What now? Do I, do I just live with guilt and shame the rest of my life? Do I just pretend it never happened? What, what now? Hey, folks, 1 John 1, 9 is still in God's word. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse you of all sin. Right? Isn't that what his word says? If you confess it, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm saying to you, if you're sitting out there today, and in light of what Paul says, and again, I hope I'm just the messenger boy. If that's not what it, is that not what it says, then tell me, let's figure out what else it says. But based on what Paul says, if you're sitting out there and you're, and you're saying, I didn't, I didn't do it right, I didn't, listen to me. God is still a God of grace and mercy and restoration and I do not believe it would line up with either scripture or with the very character or nature of God to think that God just expects you to be miserable the rest of your life understanding what that means doesn't want you to uh, because of guilt that you feel over some past decision or past mistake or, or whatever that's not what God would want for you because Ladies and gentlemen, as I am fond of saying, unless you can make a time machine out of a DeLorean, you cannot go back and change whatever has happened in your past. You can't. Listen to me. You can't change your past, but God can unchain you from your past. That's what grace and mercy is all about. You can't change your past. Oh, I, I should have done this better, or I didn't do that better, or I can clearly see now that I didn't. You can't change that. But God can unchain you from your past. That's exactly what He wants to do, no matter where you are. This is to let all of us know who are single and, and want to stay that way, or are not single and want to be married, those who are married, this is instruction to us on, on, on how we're supposed to do life. No matter what we've done in the past, no matter what mistakes we've made in the past, listen to me. Perhaps no sweeter sentence is in all the Bible or in all of English literature than these words. So if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Marriage, divorce, and living as a single person. As we heard today, God's perspective and expectation is much different from how our culture approaches these subjects. But as Pastor Clay has emphasized throughout this series, you have to decide what your source of truth is going to be for your life. The culture, your own feelings, or God's Word. What God has to say on some of these subjects may not go over well with many people in our culture, but you and I will always be better off when we choose God's truth for our lives. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. 
Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.